You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Well, here we are again. And in studio today is the founder of Felony Inc. Podcast, our wonderful uh, deserted host of the show, David J. Dahl. Uh, what's the J stand for? Jerk off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, hey, uh, lad, are you going to have a little monologue to start? I do. I usually have a monologue, but, you know, you're here today, so, you know, I Well, here on really Felony Inc., you know, what we try to do is we, we, we try to bring stories of, of redemption and, uh, you know, the things that are inspirational, right? That's right. And... Um, People who have overcome, you know, tough times and turned it around and made something of themselves. That is also right. Essentially, that's what the monologue at the beginning is supposed to say. So we all know that Dave, you know, overcame some uh, pretty hardcore uh, barriers in life, drugs and alcohol and uh, dancing women. And here he is today, um, <coughs> excuse me, multimillionaire uh, sitting on top of the world. And uh, we're interviewing guests each week that um, have basically kind of did the same thing. Isn't that right, Dave? That's right. And um, and we, you know, the thing that makes me excited is seeing people do that to see. I just love, I get excited seeing other folks make it, you know, people who deserve it, you know, not people who take it from somebody, but people who actually earn it. Uh, I get excited about that. So, uh on the, you know, there's another thing I wanted to say before I take off, because I'm going to take off here in a sec, right? Uh, July 1st, there will be an episode of The Great Podcast by Guy Raz of NPR. Uh, the podcast is called How I Built This. And I will be, my episode will be on there July 1st. So I want to let people know that they can tune into that. And in honor of that, I feel like I'll be back to do a few episodes of this show, um, kind of around that, you know, kind of just... I love that podcast too, man. You do? Yeah, it's That's good the one. real deal. Congrats. You heard, did you hear the one with Bob uh, from Bob's Red Mill? Oh, no, I haven't heard that one yet. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. No. It is for me because I know Bob, you know, so, sure. and he's great. Um, most honest person I've ever met, and I love to see that. And a great product as well. Yeah, great yeah. product. So... Um, Anyway, that's that. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring back a bunch of, uh, you know, we're going to bring back a bunch of the old guests that we had before and maybe have a couple new ones for this purpose. Right here on Felony Inc. Right here on Felony Inc. That's right. Startup Radio Network. Sponsored so by who? What? Mark Grimes. Yeah. Our producer and our sound guy. They don't sponsor us. They do. They don't? We sponsor them? They don't ever, I don't ever see any bit. money in checks coming from them or anything. So well, I'd like to see that. We uh, all would. Yeah. <laughs> We'd like to see them coming to you, not coming to 
felony ink. Well, thank you. Yeah, but maybe two felony inks so you can get some of it. Right. Right. So anyway, the, the idea here I'm saying is that this could possibly help get felony ink a little bit more attention, and that's what we're going to do. Well, I would hope so, because I need more attention. You sure do. Because why? Why do I need more attention, Because Dave? right now, nobody gives a fuck about you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All on? How about you? Are you with Dave? I give a fuck. <laughs> there it <laughs> is, such a, Dave. But he's a nice guy. I got guy. one fan. <laughs> he's a nice guy, though. He, wow, he'd lie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it's been, uh, it's been real. You're out of here already. Yeah. You're not even going to introduce our guest. Oh, I could do that, but I don't have any. I don't have any paperwork to. It's all right with. here. I'm going to hand it over to you. I can't even read that. It's so tiny. Oh, okay, here we go. Is tiny. I'll try reading this. Georgia Durante. Did I say that right? Yes. Because it could be Dur Durante or something. I don't know. Are you uh, related somehow to uh, the great? Uh, what was that guy's name? Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. No, I am not. But the, the the strange thing is, is when I lived in Solana Beach, his condo was right next door to mine, and our mailboxes were side by side. We kept getting each other's mail. <laughs> right on. Well, okay. Now Georgia has packed a lifetime of lessons into her years. Those who have known her for the past twenty years as one of Hollywood's most successful female commercial stunt drivers have been shocked by the truth of her past. Hollywood producers have known two Georgia Durantes, the steely-nerved stuntwoman with a skill to handle three-ton high-performance vehicle and high-speed precision maneuvers. Boy, that's hard. It's a mouthful. No that wonder is. you didn't want to say it. I know. And a beautiful model and actress who, at 17, was considered the most photographed girl in the country. That's, that's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, it's kind of almost contradictory, isn't it? They knew only those sides of Georgia Durante because that was all that she chose to reveal. Only now does she share the full story of her life in the company she keeps. Now, that's the name of the book, right? The company right. she keeps. <laughs> Compelling and terrifying, the company she keeps tells the story of Georgia Durante's storybook beginnings in upstate New York when at the tender age of 12... The radiant little girl began her national modeling career. At 17, Georgia Durante became the Kodak girl, immortalized with her life-size image, displayed in more than 80,000 retail stores throughout the world. Soon, the magnetic smile that propelled Georgia's modeling career served only to mask the pain that she endured from a brutal rape at the hands of her brother-in-law. Her first brushes with mob violence, the birth of her father, or birth of her daughter, and a failed marriage, all before she turned 20. It's an early bloomer there, Georgia. Uh, the roller coaster that had become Georgia Durante's life continued its downward ride as she met, fell in love with, and married Joe Lemondola. A, you said it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of syllables. A respected businessman, but one with a dark secret and ties to the syndicate. Georgia Durante's 
retelling of the facts paints a picture of a victim hopelessly caught in a web constructed of her own emotions as well as the abuse and threats of the tyrant whose wife she had become. Suspense and intrigue abound as Georgia recounts the fighter she became in response to her surroundings. She alone determined the fate of the madman who stalked her and kidnapped her daughter. Georgia Durante's constant search for meaning and the life she had always sought but could never quite find manifested itself with many heartbreaking turns. I think we'll get into the rest of this as you go. Oh, my gosh. What an opening. A lot going on there, buddy. Good job, Dave. Yeah. Boy, I remember we had you on before, and you had a lot to say then. So uh, I'm going to listen to the rest of this in the car, and I will, I'll see you guys when I see you. All right. So everybody, everybody <laughs> it's great, great to talk to you again, talk at you again. Well, you take care. Okay, hon. Thanks. All right, the famous one, Dave Dahl, is out of the studio as we speak. Have a good day, Dave. That was kind of nice to have him here, wasn't it, all on? I, I teared up a little. A little bit. I did, too. Nostalgia. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's always cool to have Dave here, Georgia, because, um, you know, me and Dave have been friends for many years, and uh, we have uh, kind of an odd kind of humor about us and banter, but uh, it's always fun. But now, on to our guest, Georgia Durante. And I always, I always liked uh, Jimmy Durante, you know, ah-cha-cha-cha. Was, he was quite a yeah. character. Well, there's so many listeners out there that won't even know who Jimmy Durante is. <laughs> I know, it's true. Isn't that crazy? But, you know, uh, so you got a, you got a bunch of stuff going on right now, but why don't we just go back a little bit? You know, our listeners uh, heard your story before. But um, give us a little, uh, you know, take us back a little bit and give us a little, this is a movie right here, I know. Uh, it should be a movie. Maybe could be a movie. It, is it, it, it going to be a movie? Well, could be. <laughs> they, just, they just finished the screenplay, and they're going after Netflix for a feature and then to spin it off in a series because you can't tell the whole story in two hours. No, you can't. I mean, last time you were here, I remember we barely even touched on everything that was going on with, in your past. So, why don't you give us just a little bit of a recap uh, for the listeners that didn't hear the, you know, our podcast before? Okay, so we can go back from the beginning. <laughs> I uh, I grew up in Rochester, New York, and uh, at the at the time. I mean, you could open up the phone book and everybody's last name ended in a vowel. I didn't know anybody who was not Italian until I was like 17 years old. Wow. <laughs> Believe it or not. And uh, there was a big mob influence in that city. When I was 12 years old, um, I was having uh, lunch with a girlfriend in this diner. And these two guys came up to us and hit on us very crudely. And a guy sitting in a booth all by himself overheard the conversation. And he got up and he took these two guys outside and beat the living heck out of them. Came back in and turned out he he was, at the time, he was moving up the ladder. But um, his name was Sammy G. And he became the godfather of upstate New York. And for some reason, he 
you know, he kind of watched me grow up and he protected me. I would get into these clubs at 16 and you had to be 18 to, to drink back then. And, you know, he would see the bouncer and nod and say, let him in, it's okay. And then he would, you know, just watch out for me. And uh, that was my <laughs> first experience with the mob. I mean, I would go into these clubs and before I even got to the bar, there would be six shot glasses set up where people would buy drinks and that's how you knew you had a drink coming as the shot glass would be there in front of you. And, uh, you know, he just watched out for me. When I graduated from high school, I moved to New York City. And the very first night, I met the same kinds of characters and really got uh, introduced to mob life there. Um, I was in an after-hour club, and a guy stood five, five feet away from me and pulled out a gun and shot the guy next to him. And I was dating the the, the uh, owner, and he threw me the car keys, and he said, Georgie girl, get the car, quick, pull it up. And I ran downstairs, got the car, and they got his body down two flights of stairs, and they threw him in the back seat. And now they're telling me where to go, but I knew when I saw a cop I had to slow down and finally got him to Bellevue Hospital where they just pulled his body out, left him on the sidewalk, laid on the horn, and then we took off. And the guy did live, but they ended up killing him about three months later. Wow. But all they yeah, all they talked about was, man, Georgie girl, can you drive a car, right? <laughs> so, where, so where did you get the experience driving a car? Growing up on the farm, or how did, how did you get that? You know, I used to hang around a bunch of guys that were building cars, and they used to race them, and um, I just had a love for it. My, my, my dad was a golf pro, and we had a golf course, and in the middle of the night, I would, you know, we, we used to have these electric carts, and I figured out how to hotwire them, and I'd call my friends in the middle of the night, and we, would, and we would drag race down the fairways in pitch darkness, end up on the greens, tear up the greens. Oh, my God. My father said, I want 10% of all your action because I paid dearly for your education. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I just, I just was this adventurous kid that, you know, I love speed. I love, you know... Um, I mean, well, when I was 12 years old, I, I hopped a freight train and ran away. Not because I, I had a terrible home life. I didn't. I had a fabulous home life. I just wanted to see what was out there. Right. You know? Um, but I got as far as Buffalo, and a passing train saw me in the in the box cart and radioed ahead. And when the train stopped in Buffalo, um, there was a police car waiting for me. And that was my first time in a police car. <laughs> Wow. Wouldn't be my last, but twelve years it was old. My first, I was twelve. Yep. So, so, uh, so the listeners uh, that are you know that didn't catch your previous episode, they missed uh, the story about how you became the Kodak girl. Huh? Can you can you uh, let our guys let our well, listeners know about that story? It's kind of cool. Well, Rochester was the home of Kodak, which is so sad. It's not even there anymore. Um, but uh, I started modeling, you know, when I was 12, and I was really kind of a tomboy. And I, my mother took me in for testing, and I really didn't want to do it. And uh, this <laughs> one photographer 
after he took the pictures, he came in the dressing room and he said, honey, are you taking any secretarial courses? And I says, well, I plan to. And he said, oh, good, because I think you should be a secretary because I don't really think you're going to make it as a model. <laughs> well, <laughs> somebody told me something I could not do. <laughs> so I went home and I got all these teen magazines and started posing in front of the mirror and I asked my mother to, you know, make an appointment at another studio and and uh, they had different studios in Rochester. Um, so anyway, I went there and I got on their um, on their roster and they started calling and before I knew it, I was missing so much school because I was working all the time. By the time I was 17, um, they, uh, they did the the Kodak Summer Girl, which was, they did that every year, but with me, they used a bikini for the first time, and they were so nervous about it, because Kodak is, you know, I mean, it's a very conservative company. They were so conservative that when the when the poster came out, they had airbrushed out my belly button. <laughs> you know what, I, it's funny, because I'm looking at that picture right now, as we're speaking, I was just kind of browsing the web and looking at some of your photographs, and I, it shows that one, and it does, it shows that your belly button is not there. Yeah, so anyway, and that bikini, I mean, you can't even really call it a bikini. It came up to my waist, right? <laughs> so what What year was that? So, that was in 1969 that came out. And when I first did my, my book signing in Rochester, it was there was like, oh, my God, nobody knew what was in it. And uh, the book had just come out, so nobody had read anything. There were 600 people there. I was on the second floor of Barnes & Noble. There were four abreast all the way down the stairs, out the door, and around the building. And this girl finally makes it up, and, she, and the poster was there. The photographer who took that picture brought it in and stood it up next to me where I was signing. And this girl is like 20 years old. She says, oh, I remember that poster. And I said, honey there's no way you could remember that. I said, you weren't even born when we took that picture. And she said, oh, but I remember it. She said, my brother has an antique store, and he had one in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember I had oh, uh, I had one of Farrah Fawcett that's probably ancient now, too. So, so anyway, so you're yeah. the Kodak girl, and then... Kind of things started changing around a little bit, and uh, the mob kind of started getting involved in your life a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, uh, after after I got that guy to the hospital, and they they talked so much about how how I drove the car. A um, couple of months later, I happened to go back to Rochester for a visit, and I run into Sammy G. And Sammy says, Georgia, I ha you have to do a favor for me. And I said, sure, Sammy, what do you want me to do? He says, you have to deliver a message for me. He says, if anybody finds out about this, they're going to find my body in the Genesee River. Nobody can know about this. I said, okay, just, you know, what do you want me to do? So he shows up the next day with a sealed envelope. I go back to New York, and there's a black limousine waiting for me. And they drive me into to Brooklyn and park like a block away from the restaurant that we went into and I'm being escorted into the restaurant and there's four guys sitting in the back room and I'm introduced as Georgie girl well this one guy's eyebrow raised up like he had heard the name which he had he heard about how I drove the car that night 
And um, I give them the envelope, and they open it, and then all of a sudden their mood changed and said, you tell Mr. Gingillo he's going to have to talk to us in person. I said, hey, I'm just the messenger. I have no idea what's in there, right? So now I'm being escorted out, and this guy says to me, he says, the old man really liked you. And I said, now, mind you, I'm 17 years old. I said, which old man? I said, they were all old. (laughs) 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 And it turned out to be Carlo Gambino. Oh, wow. And um, they must have thought, if if Sammy could trust me with whatever was in that message, and to this day, I still don't know. Um, You know, if he could trust me, I was appearing on covers in magazines. I looked like the girl next door. Who is ever going to suspect me? So they started using me to, you know, pick up packages and um, drop them off at different locations. And one of the locations was uh, JFK Airport. And these guys in suits would always, you know, be there to take over to take the packages. Well, later I found out that there were millions of dollars in these packages, and it was actually the CIA who was taking the money and, and laundering it for the mob in foreign countries. Wow. So, so I'm getting, you know, deep, but I don't even know how deep I'm getting in. I'm just 17. It was very exciting because I didn't really know what was going on. But then it kind of progressed to what they called pickups. Well, let me ask you this, Georgia. How how much money did they pay you to deliver those packages? Always making more money than I was modeling. I was like, (laughs) and I was making pretty good modeling at that time. Um, Um, Yeah, so it, it, pardon? Go ahead. So, so, where was I? Well, we were talking about you uh, delivering packages, but before we get to that, why don't we just take a break and thank our sponsors? And we'll be right back. Okay. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. All right, Georgia, we are back. That was the famous Dave Dahl doing that commercial. He's, he's got a pretty good radio voice, don't he? Yes, he does. <laughs> have you ever personally met Dave? I have not. Oh, that's a good thing. Where does, where does he live? He lives right here in uh, downtown Portland. Here in Portland? Yes, Portland, Oregon. All right. Well, if you're ever in the area, come by. We'd. uh... Uh, I used to be in that area quite a bit when I was doing Chevy commercials. Chevy commercials. Yeah. That's my. That's my favorite car right there. When I was a kid, I had a fifty-seven Chevy. Uh, I I when I bought my house, it was twenty-eight hundred square feet. It's now five thousand square feet, and I call it. The house that Chevy built. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get back. Uh, So you're delivering these packages, and you're doing some other stuff, and you eventually meet and marry one of these guys, right, which uh, led you down a different kind of a road. Well, um, yeah, well, this this road was pretty bizarre, (laughs) you know, but... um, 
what happened was they they started to um, when I graduated to pickups, and what I assumed they were doing was you know breaking legs to collect the vig and um, and I would wait around the corner from them, and one day they came out with their guns out and flung open the doors, jumped in, and said, step on it. And then I heard the sirens. And if I didn't get away, somebody was going to die. And I did. And then they wanted to use me all the time. So it was really tough to get out of that situation. I ended up... They wanted to use you for driving, right? Yeah, yeah. But when I, I... Married a guy who was a mob guy. Um, we had to, uh, they were killing everybody who knew anything, so we had to come to California, and I came kicking and screaming. I did not want to come. That's when I moved to Solana Beach. And uh, he was very, he was very abusive. I mean, this, this guy put a gun to my head with one bullet in it and pulled the trigger twice. And he, he held me out of a two-story building because I, I tried to leave him. And so who who is this away. guy? That was Joe Lemondola. Joe Lemondola. Okay. Yeah. Well, he ended up killing himself, which was kind of a good thing. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I, I finally escaped from him, and I, I made it to California, but I had $7 in my pocket and a 7-year-old daughter. And um, I couldn't call anybody and let them know where I was for help. And I finally found a friend that I used to model with in New York who had a little studio apartment in Brentwood. And he allowed me to stay there until I could figure out what I was going to do. And so I'm watching TV every day trying to... I can't model because they figure out where I am. And as I'm watching, it seemed like every time there was a commercial, it was a car commercial. And then I really started to look at it and realize you could never see the driver. I said, that's perfect. I could do that, right? But this is back in the early 70s when they were putting wigs on guys. Women just weren't doing that kind of thing. But my friend, who was an actor, would tell me where they were shooting commercials, and I would show up on the sets, and I would bug these directors, and they would just look at me like, yeah, sure, she can drive, uh-huh. But I couldn't tell them what was on my resume. But I just kept showing up. I wouldn't take no for an answer. And finally, um, one of them said, uh, all right, all right, I'm sick of seeing your face. He said, show up on Tuesday. We'll see what you can do. So I showed up on Tuesday and showed him what I could do. And I guess he was impressed. Told the next guy and the next guy. Before I knew it, I was turning down work. I couldn't do it all. I said, geez, if I could just clone myself, I could be a millionaire. Well, that's what I did. I went after good-looking women who could drive, uh, stunt women, and then I trained them in precision and put together a team of 16 drivers and came out of the gate, you know, with people like Bobby Unser Jr. and Dar Robinson. Uh, Dar was a great stunt man. Um, and it took off. So that you're saying that you were driving for, for Chevy? I drove for all the car companies, all the car commercials that you see on the air. Yeah. Um, that was me and my team. So, you know, um, our show, Fill in the Ink, of course, is um, 
is for, you know, we try to contact and get people on here who have, you know, been convicted of a felony and have mm-hmm. gotten out and turned their lives around and, you know, made something of themselves, especially in, in a business. But that's not with you. You never did actually go uh, to prison, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> I escaped that. Um, in fact, this is a really funny story. I, uh, I'm good friends with uh, a judge in Chicago. In fact, he was, when he was a criminal defense attorney, his very first job was defending John Wayne Gacy. Wow. So, so now he's a judge, and he calls me, and he says, you know, they're honoring me uh, in Chicago. He said, uh, the, you know, the police are, are honoring me, and I'd love for you to be there. So he sends me a ticket, and I go down, and they weren't honoring him. They were honoring me. The Chicago police gave me the Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> Wow. And then I didn't know this. For what? What were they was, doing? What had you accomplished it, that it made them want to do that? I, well, judge, the judge set that up. That the judge set that up, and when they called me, to, you know, called me up, I mean, I was shocked. I didn't know what to say. And then they wanted me to make a speech, and I just said, um, on the advice of my attorney, who is now a judge, I was told to take the fifth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, you know, you know, oh all God. on our sound guy, that's what he uh-huh. does. Every time I ask him a question, he always says, I'm just going to take the fifth. I'm moving on to the sixth, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have some pictures of that. Um, that when when just... was that? What year was that? Uh, let's see, that was in 2008, I think. Wait a minute. 2008, so, so you went from mob, so, you know, when you, I want to go back to that part where you said you, you left them and you went to California. What was the reason, Uh why did you leave that when you were making such good money, you know, driving and whatever for them, why did you leave that and go to California? Well, a mob war had broken out, and they were killing everybody who knew anything, and um, I obviously knew a lot, so um, I was kind of, I was picked up and brought into um, the uh, chief of police office in Rochester, and sitting on, at the chief of police desk, with his feet up on the table talking on the phone was a guy by the name of Al DeCanzio, who was uh, there for, he was supposed to go on trial for murder. And I walk into the room and they leave me alone in there with him. And uh, so I figured out that he was talking, you know, to get his freedom, right? So I left and I called my husband and I said, um, I told him what happened, and he says, get in the car right now. He said, just throw some clothes in there, forget about everything. Get Tony and start driving out here. He said, you're not safe. So, so there's one guy in the police station, you went in there. So you went in there, and they left you alone so that he could talk to you and maybe get some information out of you that they could use to, to save him from having his murder charge? Well, yeah, that's what they wanted, but if it got out on the streets that I was talking to Al, they would think that I was 
I was also uh, cooperating. Right. So I had to I had to get out, and I wasn't, but they didn't know that, you know. Right. So you packed up your stuff. You and your husband uh, was, you know, your husband. He was al- he was already there. He already knew that there was something coming down, and I did not want to go, which, you know, that was my excuse to get out of the marriage. But now I had to go. And then when I got there, he was he was like a rat in a corner, um, very very abusive. Whenever um, whenever we would get into an argument, I I ended up sleeping on the beach, freezing with my daughter. Um, if I was able to get out with my purse, I would go to the local theater and just watch the same movie over and over and over again, afraid to go home. It was you know, it's all in the book. <laughs> it goes it goes on and on and on. And then a stalker. Oh my god, and then I had a stalker. And when I finally got to California, I mean to Los Angeles when I left him, um, I meet this guy who turns out to be a stalker and he kidnapped my daughter and oh, that's how that's really how it all ended. Um he uh it got to a point where this guy, the police weren't going to help me. Uh, I ended up having to call my husband, and he sent me a hitman. Are you there, or did I? Yeah, we're here. Are you still there? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, this guy comes, and he's cleaning his guns, and I said, well, wait a minute. I don't want him to die. I just need him to be taught a lesson so he stays away from me. So anyway, of course, he shows up at my house and Al's there behind the door and he busts open the door and he comes in and um, and Al starts beating the crap out of him. And then he puts a gun to his head and I said, I said, Al, don't, don't kill him. Don't kill him. I just want him to learn a lesson. And the guy ends up, you know, he ends up in the hospital. He's got so many broken bones. All of his ribs are broken. His nose is broken. He calls me from the hospital bed. Must have had the, the nurse put the phone up to his ear. And he said, I still love you. I understand why you did what you did. I said, oh, my God, I should have let him die. Oh, my God. There's no way to get rid of this guy. But he ended up calling the FBI, and he told them, that I had all this information on the mob that um, I would give give to them if they put us together in Europe someplace and changed our identities. I mean, he was nuts. I mean, he really believed this, but the FBI believed him. Wow. And they were working on a thing against my husband for a year, and now they thought, oh, wow, you know, Lamondola's wife is going to talk to us. This is a bit, this is the break we've been looking for, right? Well, when I got, they picked me up and took me to the Bonaventure Hotel. And when they, when they told me that, you know, he said that, I, I couldn't believe it. Now, they were my uh, vehicle to get rid of Steve, the, the, the stalker, right? And that's how I finally got rid of him. They tried it's it's so convoluted. When they finally approached him, he thought they were the mob, and he pulled the gun on the FBI. And the FBI didn't shoot him because 
he had his kids with him. But they arrested him, and that's how I got Steve out of my life. How did, how did he come into your life? I was sitting in a restaurant in Beverly Hills, and the restaurant was packed, and I had a table all by myself. And they came up to me. Him and his partner came up to me and said, you know, there's no more room to sit. Do you mind if we join you? And they sat at my table. And um, they ended up helping me move into an apartment. But then when, when I moved into the apartment, they just came, and they they wouldn't leave. And... And then he just, like, I don't know, he just, it's a a story all in itself. In fact, that chapter in my book could be a movie all in itself. (laughs) All right, so not only are you a stunt driver there in uh, in California, you also um, started doing some modeling there as well. So when I look on the web, I see all kinds of pictures of, of you uh, modeling and with, you know, all the stars of, of Hollywood. How did all that come about? Well, I worked with a lot of these people, um, you know, doing the stunts. And they became my friends, like Buddy Hackett and Hugh O'Brien and Dom DeLuise. And, you know, I met these guys, like... 25 years ago, and they stayed in my life, and now all of them are dead. They just, in fact, Hugh is the last one to die. He died two years ago. Not even two years. Maybe it was just last year. Um, but um, I, uh, nobody ever knew about my past until my book came out. <laughs> and, then, and then I said, oh, my God, when everybody finds out about this, I'll probably never work again. And it turned out, you know, I probably worked more. Um, you know, I think it was the honesty, and it's helped so many women to get out of their abusive situations. I had one girl that um, worked in a radio station, just like you guys, you know, and the, they had the book there. And um, she took the book home, and I got an email from her, and she said, if I had not read your book, she said, I wouldn't be here to be writing you today. She said, I plan to kill myself this weekend. She said, but after reading your story, she said, if you can do it, I can do it. And she didn't kill herself. Well, you know, that's just like Dave, you know, the famous Dave Doll of Dave's Killer Bread. Um, that was his theme, you know, in in, uh, in a lot of things that he does in his life. If I can do it, you can do it. And mm-hmm. uh, his mm-hmm. his story and, and his, his rise to uh, where he's at today has really affected a lot of people. I mean, I've seen it over and over again how many people, um, you know, and it doesn't, you, you don't see the results just right away, you know. I mean, years later, these people are coming to Dave and saying, hey, Dave, you know, when you spoke to us in this juvenile facility, you really had an impact on me, and I, I was able to change my life, turn it around, and and uh, I'm doing really well because of, of the words that you um you gave us all those years ago, and that's that's just like you. You know, you're um, what a fantastic life you've led. I mean, it's just uh, like I say, it's it's a movie, and it should be, and and uh, it's just one of those things. And when you can affect somebody like like this woman you just told us about, that's really what it's all about. It's it's not about all about me. You know, it's not about exactly. what I can do. I started getting all these emails after my book came out from women, and and I was answering them all because I didn't want to be responsible for for somebody um, 
killing themselves if, you know, I didn't answer them. But it led me on a different path. I started speaking in women's prisons and um, shelters for women, abuse women's shelters. And, um, and, and then it, it just... It was just unbelievable how many people were helping. When I when I went into Twin Towers here in L.A., um, I actually got there early, but it took a long time to get processed in. And these girls were kind of sitting there, like 60 women, waiting for me. And when I got there, they were, like, pushing each other, spitting on each other, um, chewing gum with their feet up on the chair in front of them. I said, oh, boy, this is going to be a tough crowd, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And the first thing I said to them was, I just got to let you guys in on a little secret. I said, getting into this place is a lot tougher than getting out. And that broke the ice. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I said, how many women in here have been physically abused, sexually abused, whatever? Every single one of them raised their hand. Well, and that told me why, you know, why they were there. Because... You know, because that happened to me, and for the longest time, I had, I had no confidence in myself, and I started hanging around with a bad crowd, and that's why, because you don't feel like you're good enough, and that's those are the kinds of people that end up in jail. That's right. Because they hang around people that they think are their equal, and uh, that's what happens. You know, when, when I left there, go ahead. You know, Georgia, when when you come in there. And you've been through the same things that they've been through, and you've made it to the position in life where you're at. It really is uh, a defining moment for them to see that, you know, that they're not alone, that they can get out and they can, you know, succeed. And with that, we are going to take another break and with our special guest, Georgia Durante, and we will be right back. All right. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. What do you think of that, Georgia? Do I got a pretty good radio voice or what? Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. They asked me to come in and, uh, and read one of these, uh, these advertisements, these, you know, these guys that support us. And I wasn't really sure if I could do it, if my voice, I used to have a really high voice when I was a kid. And um, I smoked a lot, and I still do. And uh, I credit smoking for giving me um, a deeper voice. So some of the bad things in life can turn out bad, you know, okay. So this story, we could have you on here all day and listen to what you, your story. It's just amazing. Uh, I, I love The Godfather, and I love all those old, you know, gangster movies. And this is just one of those movies, and I can't wait for uh, it to come out. So if you want to tell us a little bit more about your book and all the, the website and all the good stuff that's happening with your story, um, we'd love to hear it. There are so many good things that are, that are happening. Um, 
I, like I said in the beginning of the program, uh, they just finished the um, the script, and it looks like it's going to be a movie. So, you know, keep your fingers crossed that it all goes well. Um, but if anybody, you know, especially women out there who who could use some inspiration <laughs> and some help, um, by, I, I would really love for them to go to my website, and my, my book is on there. They can get it cheaper than they can get it on Amazon, and I will sign it for them and send it to them. And the website is thecompanysheKeeps.com, and there's also, like, georgiaduranti.com. There's more pictures and things of my career if they want to look at that. And I also rent my home out for weddings and filming. As a matter of fact, they just they just did the Charles Manson, one of the Charles Manson's movies here, and they killed Sharon Tate in my living room. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's called Charlie Says. It's it's out now. I think it's on Netflix. Um, but uh, I do I do vacation rental here too. So if anybody's interested in coming and fabulous, I mean I just turned this place into like a Disneyland. Um, that is the it's called Enchanted Manor Events. And they can come and stay with me. They get a free book when they come. (laughs) Well, me and Dave might have to take you up on that. Yay! (laughs) It's fun. I have a a, a fire pit here, and with all the people that come, we sit out and have a glass of wine, sit by the fire pit, and it's fabulous. It's really fabulous. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, all on, this is uh, almost another week of Felony, Inc., do you have anything that you'd like to, to ask Georgia? Anything that's been on your mind? Well, so great to have you back, by the way. And, um, yeah, congratulations on everything. Um, can't wait to see that movie. I know it's coming out. And I um, can't wait either. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. If, if I ever get to L.A., yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to look you up. All right. I jo- love it. Georgia, are you going to be? Uh, are you gonna do any cameos in there or anything? Probably, but more importantly, I'm gonna I'm gonna double the woman who doubles for me. <laughs> nice. I'll do all the stunts. Yeah. <laughs> how How old are you now? Would you believe sixty eight? Sixty eight. I can't believe it. And still doing stunts. Looking good. Still looking good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And that doesn't that yeah. that takes work, right? Like you must have a physical regiment as well. Uh, you know what? I I adopted a little girl. She's now twelve. Uh, since I've had her, I don't spend a whole lot of time working out like I used to. But uh, and I got so many things going on that I I don't really have a regiment. But mm-hmm. I don't you know I don't I don't overeat. I just watch what I you know. Watch what I do. Sure. Well, you know what, uh, Dave, uh, there's a possibility that down the road sometime, Dave might, there might be a movie about Dave. And, really? uh, you know, Dave is one of those kind of guys that um, always trips and falls and wipes out and does all that kind of stuff. So maybe <laughs> you could play the opposite role and play Dave's stunt double. What do you think of that? Well, they don't really allow that. Um, women. You know, women have to double women, and men have to double men. Well, I don't know. Back in the old days, they would have guys put on wigs, right? Exactly, and now they made a big thing about that. 
so that can't be done anymore. But you know what? Dave has long hair. In some of the scenes, he would have long hair and a ponytail, so you wouldn't have to, you know, be like kind of the opposite. <laughs> it depends It depends on the situation, really. But, um, no, women would be very upset if a guy put a wig on and took, took work from them. No. Oh. And vice versa. Well, you know, we hope that movie comes out, and we, you know, we're really super happy to have you back on here today. Um, like I said, you know, we could we could just sit here and talk. I'd, I'd love that someday to be able to just sit and talk to you about all the things you've been through in life. But we're getting close to uh, the end of the show here, so if there's anything else you'd like to plug, uh, anything else you'd like to throw out there for our listeners uh, to be able to get a hold of you or whatever, please do it. Uh, well, you know, well, if I put my, if I give you my uh, email address, I'm going to be flooded with, uh, with more, and I have to answer them. But my email address is stuntladyatme.com. If anybody wants any more information about what we talked about, um, as far as the websites or the, you know, the Enchanted Manor, or filming, anything, anything especially women who need help, where I can at least uh, point them in the right direction. Well, Georgia, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, to everybody out there listening to our show, we thank you for that. Uh, we'd like to thank our producer, Mark Grimes, his uh, co-host, uh, Mr. Michael Coates. Great guy. Kind of small, but he's all right. And uh, once again, our wonderful engineer, and I always say his name right, Alain Boujolet. Darn it, it's Beausoleil. Oh, I said it wrong? Oh, for Pete's <laughs> sakes, that's the first time. And I did it on purpose, you right? Got my, you got my name right, so that's what there counts. You go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Georgie. Right, you guys. have a good weekend, and we appreciate you coming on. And uh, we'll see you next you week. Thank you very much. We'll see everybody next Bye-bye. week right here on Felony Inc. Podcast. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startupradio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and you get a $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.